0: Good morning! How's everybody doing today? I hope everybody's doing as well as Alan is today. He stole my point, by the way, but I'll get to that later. I'm Gary, in case you, uh, you don't know who I am, and uh, I'm one of the three elders here. Uh, Tim, sitting over there in the corner, usually is up here. Um, he wanted a break, asked me to speak today, so here I am. Tim has uh, began a new series last week called Good News for a Change. And this, to me, I am excited about. Because as most of you know, uh, the good news of Jesus is sometimes referred to as the gospel. The word gospel simply means good news. And oftentimes, that is the way telling people about Jesus is described. It's described as sharing the gospel or sharing good news. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I've been a Christian since I was 12. Uh, Most of my adult life, I have at least had the conviction that I need to share my faith, that I need to share the good news. But i got to confess that I don't believe I've always shared good news. I've been evangelistic. I've shared my faith. I've invited people to things. I've studied the Bible with people. I've argued with people or discussed with people about dif- about what they believe about different doctrines. Okay? But when it came down to it a lot of times when I was struggling with wanting to share my faith, I was convicted that I needed to share my faith, but I wasn't. The truth of the matter was I had to ask myself the question, do I is it really good news to me? I had to ask myself that question. And I realized I was a part of a system, if you will, that or at least that's the way I was approaching it, let me say that, where I was trying to do things without fully understanding it. And it's been over the last few years that I'm really convicted by that us as a church needs to come to a greater understanding of what the good news of Jesus is really all about. Okay? The good news of Jesus isn't simply that you're not saved till you're baptized. The good news of Jesus isn't simply knowing what the cost of being a disciple is all about. The good news of Jesus isn't that our church has it more right than most other churches. Okay? And I've just scratched the surface there on what I believe and what wrong thoughts that I've had of how I've approached sharing the good news. And guys, it I believe with all my heart that the news of Jesus is good news and should be great news to anybody that hears it and especially to anybody that accepts it. That's what you see when you look at the early church in the book of Acts. Those people were pumped up about telling what they'd learned about Jesus. They were excited. They were turned. Is that the right way, use of that word? They were turned at the young people's word meeting. They were excited. I'm told not to use words like that but. <laughs> by the young people. But I cannot resist myself. But guys, I'm excited about us looking at this, and I'm excited specifically today about we're going to be talking about The Good News of the Resurrection. And when Tim talked about this, he goes, Gary, you need to talk about this. Because it was a few years ago, I started to take notice that the resurrection was talked about in the New Testament a whole lot more than what I did. I first noticed it uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, and it's talking about Paul's praying for the Ephesians and he's wanting them to know the power that's available to them. He's praying that they will understand it and experience it And he said, "It's that same mighty, mighty power that was exerted when Jesus was raised from the dead." Now, I don't know about you, but I could use some of that. And at the time, I go, "I don't know about that." And so I started looking. I'm, you know, if if any of you know Alan, we refer to Alan around here. He was the song leader up here as our theologian. And when he gets on something, he's like a dog on a rabbit that won't let go. I mean, you, he digs, he digs, he digs, and he'll call you on the phone. He just had a breakthrough. What do you think about this? I'm bouncing all off, it, and you're going, you know, he's firing scripture after scripture at you, and this, this, like yeah, You go, that oh, sounds good to me. Let me think about it. I'm more of a plotter, okay? I'm, I'm lazy, is really what I am. But I look at it over time, and I, st- but I started looking at this, and I started noticing. I just did a word search in in, in the Bible for the word resurrect. And if you if you don't know how to use a, a, a program like BibleGateway.com, it's very simple. What I'm talking about that I have did and how I've approached this isn't you don't have to have a degree or go to a Bible class to do these things. With the tools that we have available today, it is very simple. But I just started looking at the word resurrect and resurrection and raised from the dead. And I was just blown away at how much it was talked about in the New Testament. And specifically, in the book of Acts, where they are, these are the accounts of the early Christians sharing the good news. And you know what I learned? In most of the recorded sharing of the gospel that we have, they're not only talking about the resurrection, it's like the big, the big deal of what they're sharing. I mean, you go back to Acts chapter 2, and I've talked about this a little bit, I think think it was last summer, where Acts chapter 2, you know, you talk to me in years gone by about what's the message of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, and I go, you killed Jesus, repent and be baptized. Those would be the big points I've taken out of Acts chapter 2. Now I look at that and I go, that's those are there, but the big points I look at now is Jesus is the Messiah, and He rose from the dead. And you look at it all through it in Acts chapter 3. Peter's talking about the resurrection, Jesus resurrecting from the dead. In Acts chapter 4, they're hauled in before the Jewish officials. And it says, because they were preaching to the people, and we'll look at this verse towards the end of the lesson, in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. It's what got them in trouble most of the time. Later on in the book of Acts, Paul is on trial where he can be killed... And he says, I'm here because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. He puts it that simply. And it's it's that central. And guys, when I look at it, I had to admit, I don't talk about the resurrection of the dead that much. And so guys, I'm excited to look at this today. I'm excited to dig into this deeper and to see what it's all about. Now, guys, when I talk about this, I want to be very, very clear, okay? Because whenever we talk about the resurrection, when you hear the term the resurrection, I'm not going to take a vote or ask for a show of hands, but I would guess that 90% or more of you, the first thing that comes to mind is Jesus raising from the dead. Okay? I'd said that in the first service, people's head started shaking. Yeah, that's right. That's what we talk about. That's Jesus raising from the dead, you need to understand is part of the resurrection. Okay? The resurrection was talked about by Jesus without even referencing Him raising from the dead. Jesus' resurrection was part of the resurrection. Well, what do I mean by that? I put this in your notes. Uh, Here in your notes, the resurrection. The resurrection, when they're talking about the resurrection, the resurrection is a point in time when God will raise the dead back to life. For the righteous, this will mean eternal life as originally intended for man. For the unrighteous, not so much. Okay? Now that's a very simplified view of that. And we will look at a verse that's going to say just that in just a minute. What, What does that exactly mean? How is that all going to play out? I can't tell you all the specifics. Okay, because the Bible doesn't give us all the specifics. And that's not what our lesson is all about today. All I want us to do is to dig deeper into what is the resurrection and why it is such a vital part of the sharing the good news about Jesus. Okay? Now, when, guys, when you look at this and you look at the, the resurrection, a point in time when God will raise the dead back to life for the righteous, this will mean eternal life as originally intended for God, for the unrighteous not so much... You need to understand, this was common knowledge among the Jewish people when Jesus came onto this earth. This wasn't a fringe topic. It was something that was out there. And it was something that was debated. Specifically, the the, the religious group of the Sadducees did not accept that there was a resurrection. While the Pharisees and, and most of the common people did. We're going to look at a couple of passages in a little bit where, where they Sadducees confront Jesus, and ask him about the resurrection. There's another place when uh Jesus, right before Jesus raises Lazarus back from the dead. His sister says, If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And she's trying to say, look, Jesus is trying to comfort her, saying, Look, I'm going to raise him from the dead. She goes, He's going to live. And she says, I know he's going to come back at the resurrection. And Jesus proceeds to say, well, I'm going to bring him back a little early. (laughs) Okay, Now that was not part of the resurrection because as far as we know, Lazarus died again. Okay, He just reanimated. He brought back to life. It was not part of the resurrection from the dead. But they spoke of this very plainly. They were very aware of it. And when I started looking at this, I had to ask myself, where did this come from? Where did this commonly understood belief in the resurrection that the Jewish people in the first century had. Where did it come from? Because whenever I think about the resurrection, I think about Jesus and what the New Testament has to say. Yet here were all these people. And guys, what it became for me was much like something that happened in my life a year ago, a little over a year ago. I was outside at my house uh, during the nighttime, And I have this very powerful headlamp, uh, LED headlamp. My son got me for Christmas. And I started noticing these glowing objects in the grass. And what it ended up being was wolf spiders. Now the first one, after I noticed it, I walked up to him I'm like, wow. And then I look at another one. I go over and I go, wow. And then the, the very next thought that hits you is you look around and you go, wow. Ain't that right, Mary? I've showed much bunch of the teenagers this at my house. When you come to my house at night, I've got to get the lights out. I've got to show you this. It is so cool. Because after they they, they see it, they don't believe it. It was, it was very funny. I had the teenagers there for a cross chat a year ago, and I said, okay, I can find a wolf spider in less than 60 seconds. And it really took about five seconds. And they go, okay, you knew that one was there. I said, okay, point in a direction. And so they point in another direction. And I walk over there, and I go... And they see it and they go, okay, over here. (laughs) And they point in the third direction. And then I start letting them put the light on. And invariably, when one of the girls put the light on, they go, they're everywhere. (laughs) Isn't that right? There's literally hundreds, if not thousands of these things outdoors in my yard at night. And you don't know they're there until you start looking for them. And guys, that's what I'm discovering when I look in the Bible at the resurrection. Over the last several weeks, I've been looking at where is it at? Where did these people get this from? Is this mentioned in the Old Testament? And guys, it is mentioned in multiple, multiple, multiple places. And I'm a, well, So let's talk about this. Let's go on. Guys, um, I want to talk about... We're going to talk about four facts about the resurrection... I'm going to call it in the first century. four facts about the resurrection in the first century. The first one is the belief in the resurrection was ancient. Guys, this was not some new teaching. This was not something that came about in the silent years between the Book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. It is there. Some people believe it is even uh, implied in in Genesis chapter three in the prophecy about Jesus and when Jesus tells. The serpent, that the seed of woman is going to crush your head. Some people believe it's even, it's even implied there. What I wanted to look at today, I'm just going to find find a few passages that I believe make it plain. You see, I, I, want to, I want to issue a little bit of a disclaimer here, because I just want to be honest. And quite honestly, guys, I hope you go back and look at these things on your own. I don't want you to accept what I tell you about it. But my disclaimer is this, that a number of these passages that I stumbled upon, stumbled upon, that I learned about, you know, when you're reading about them and other people mentioning them, they will tell you that some of these verses are debated whether or not it's a literal, they're talking about a literal resurrection from the dead that people are having their hope in, or if it's a figurative thing. Some people say that some of them are talking about Israel being restored as a nation. And so, I picked three three examples that I thought were obvious. You want to question me on that, I'd be happy to talk with you later, I want you to know it. There are several others, guys. Hannah, in 1 Samuel 2, talks about the resurrection. Ezekiel and Isaiah have multiple references to the resurrection. Jesus, when He's talking to the Sadducees about the resurrection, points back to Moses at the burning bush as proof of a resurrection of the dead and what was said there. And it goes on and on. David, he not only prophesied about Jesus resurrecting from the dead, he talked about him himself, as we're going to read about in a little bit. The sons of Korah in another psalm. It is multiple, multiple places it's there. And guys, you find this, and when you look at all these passages... You can say, well, you can debate them, or you can look at the weight of the evidence. Look at this here in Acts, in Acts chapter 26. This is not in your notes. It's not on the screen. I'm sorry. I, I had a really difficult time deciding which scriptures went where uh, because there's just so much. I have far more scriptures than I normally do in a lesson. But in Acts chapter 26, verses 6 through 8, Paul is on trial. He is defending himself, and this is what he said. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? You see, what he's saying is, guys, the Jewish nation has the hope of God raising us from the dead. And he says, I'm on trial because I believe in it. And because I preach it. Because I preach that it's real. And guys, when you look at this, where did these... Jewish folks and their ancestors get this belief from. Well, let's look at three places real quick, okay? First one is in Daniel chapter 12. We've got verses 2 and verse 13. What's going on here is there's an angel talking to Daniel, telling him about things that are going to come. Okay? It says, beginning in verse 2, it says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame. And everlasting contempt. Then in verse thirteen, the angel says to Daniel, He says, As for you, go your own way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Guys, that's pretty significant. It's pretty plain. He's telling Daniel, You're gonna die. And you're going to rise to receive an allotted inheritance. Guys, this next passage, you only have one verse of it in your notes from Psalms 49. I want to read the entire chapter to you, the entire first 15 verses. If you want to follow along or happen to, I'm going to be in the New Living Translation. And I want you to read all this because I want you to get the context. We didn't have room for it in our notes, and I failed to let them know about putting it on the PowerPoint. So you can either listen or follow along. Anyway, beginning in verse one it says, Listen to this, all you people. Pay attention, everyone in the world, including the five million Cubs fans. Oh High and low, rich and poor, listen, for my words are wise and my thoughts are filled with insight. I listen carefully to many proverb and solve riddles with inspiration from a harp. That puts new meaning to the music ministry, doesn't it? Solves riddles with inspiration from a heart. Says, "Why should I fear when trouble comes? When enemies surround me, they trust in their wealth and boast of great riches. Yet they not, yet they cannot redeem themselves from death by ransoming. By I'm sorry, by paying a ransom to God. Redemption does not come so easily." for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. Those who are wise must finally die, just like the foolish and senseless, leaving all their wealth behind. The grave is their eternal home where they will stay forever. They may name their estates after themselves by their but their fame will not last. They will die just like animals. This is the fate of fools, though they are remembered as being wise. Like sheep, they are led to the grave where death will be their shepherd. In their mourning, the godly will rule over them. Their bodies will rot in the grave far from their grand estates. But as for me, God will redeem my life. He will snatch me from the power of the grave. You see, guys, and what he's saying there, how many of you look around at the world today and think it's a mess? Is that pretty fair to say? Especially in view of this election coming up. I'm not sure what this election has to say. If it has more to say about these two primary candidates we have for president, okay, or if that says more about us as a group of people. Okay, the world is jacked up. That's all there is to put, that's, that's the one way to put it. You know, uh, you look around, it's everywhere. You know, my, 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 my youngest son Jordan, him and I often talk, we were Rams fans before, before they left. <laughs> and they left, and it was heartbreaking. The taste it left in my mouth when I looked at it was... I mean, them leaving St. Louis, if you know anything about it, there was lying, there was deceit, and it was all fueled by greed. Perhaps ego as well. That's what it was. They used us. Made us believe we had a chance to keep them here so we'd keep buying tickets, which I bought some of, by the way. Continue to support them. And then they just snatched it out. And you know you you look at the owner of that, and I I mean you just you just just, I just see I think you see when you look at Stan Kroenke you see a picture of greed. And I don't know if you heard what he did after he moved the Rams. He went down to Texas and bought the largest purchase of land by an individual ever, over 500,000 acre ranch. And on this ranch was a lake, or is a lake, and around this lake are people's homes who had leased the land and put their homes on it? You know what Stan did as soon as he purchased that property? He evicted them. Sent them litters of eviction. Now from what I'm told, this is just from the news articles, there are disabled people being forced to move. There are people on fixed income. Elderly people who don't have money to relocate. He hasn't offered them anything. One man was so distraught that he committed suicide two weeks ago. And in the first opening letter of his suicide note, he said, Stan stole my home. Now, I'm not going to sit here and justify that man's actions by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying when I look at Stan Kroenke's actions, the fruit of what he's doing, it disturbs me. And I look around and humanity like that, human beings disturb me. And yet I read this psalm and what does he say? Why should I fear when trouble comes when enemies surround me? In Psalms 37 it says, Why should I fear when evil people succeed in their evil ways? Why, why should I not? Because of the resurrection. That's why I should not. And that's what people put their hope in. One other passage here we want to look at, guys is in Job chapter 19. How many of you are familiar with Job? I encourage you, if you're ever depressed, go back and read the book of Job. And I pray you see your circumstances is better than his. Okay? Because he went through some horrific things. And here in Job chapter 19, at least go back and read this chapter because it is it is amazing uh, that he comes to this conclusion here. In Job chapter 19, beginning verse 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Guys, this belief in the resurrection of the dead was around from from the beginning of time. Or almost the beginning of time. Second thing we want to look at, second fact, is that Jesus spoke of the resurrection as a reality. As I mentioned earlier, it was a debated topic, specifically between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And that's what got the, the disciples in trouble. But I want to read these passages and guys, these passages pretty well stand on their own. If you read these passages, I don't know how you can look at these and go, well, I don't know if Jesus really believed in the resurrection. Let's read them. In Luke chapter 20, this is Jesus' answer to the Sadducees when they come to Him and ask Him about the resurrection. What what they do is they presented a situation to Him where they said, hey, look, uh, a man married a woman and then the man died. So his brother married the woman because that was what the Jewish law said to do. He was to marry the woman and have children for his older brother and so his, so his name could live on. And this happened, went on through three or four or five brothers. Finally, everybody dies, no children. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? You know, because she was married to four or five guys. Whose wife is she going to be? And it's believed that the Sadducees presented this to Jesus. This was their best argument. This was their best shot at Jesus this, to get to prove that the resurrection isn't real. Because why would God create such a chaotic situation? You know, can you imagine the resurrection comes back and we're all trying to find our spouse, and here's this woman, she's got five of them. Who's is this going to be? There's no way God would do something stupid like that. That's what it's believed the Sadducees were up to when they present this situation to Jesus. Okay? In one of the other uh, uh, retellings of this in, in, in Mark or Matthew 1, he says, uh, you don't, you got it wrong because you don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. I love that. But this is his reply. He says, Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. But, in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to Him all are alive. In Luke 14, verses 13 and 14, and just a side note for most of you, there's 24 verses in Luke before verse 25. Okay, Luke starts with verse 1, not verse 25. Okay, sometimes we like to start with just verse 25. Okay, another joke. You didn't get it. <sighs> Luke 14, Jesus is telling people how they should tre- treat people and what they should do when they're having a banquet. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of of the righteous. John 5, verse 21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. Verses 28 and 29 of John 5, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Guys, when you look at these passages, I don't see how you could come to any other conclusion in the except the fact that Jesus simply spoke of it as a reality. There wasn't a question in Jesus' mind. He didn't even bother to debate it. He just spoke of it as a reality. And then with the Sadducees, he says, oh, by the way, look at this passage, here's the proof. It was reality. The third fact, guys, is that Jesus' resurrection proves the resurrection. You stole my point earlier. It's okay. You were deserving. You are very deserving of that. Guys, 1 Corinthians 15 is considered the best single source about the resurrection uh, in the Bible. And it's talking about it. And what we want to do, we just want to look at verses 12 through 19. It says, so this is what it says. But if it is preached... See, now, let me just a minute, Let me stop real quick before I start reading it. A little bit of background. What's going on here is that there are some people within the Corinth church or are visiting the Corinth church who are telling people there is no such resurre- resurrection of the dead. Sure, Jesus rose from the dead, but it ain't for us. That's what's going on here. This is the the, the belief, the teaching that he is confronting. And this is what it says. It says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, asleep in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Guys, again, it's very plain. What he's saying is you can't accept that Jesus rose from the dead and not accept that there is a resurrection of the dead. Jesus' raising from the dead, Romans 1 tells us, proved with power that he was the son of God. But it also proves that I'm going to be raised from the dead. Okay? I don't know, has anybody ever thought about your last words? What, you know, I mean, I don't know how much chance you'll really get to issue them, to say them. Okay? Because, I mean, you know, that's how death works. You may not be able to speak. You know, you may die suddenly. We just don't know. But do you know what I hope My I'm able to do with my last dying breath? I hope that my loved ones are around me and I'm able to put a smile on my face and with my best Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation, I'll be back. Guys, that's the truth of the matter. I mean, it's funny, but it's like, how can you have... Because that's the truth. Death is a momentary thing for the life of the righteous. That's what Jesus' death says. Later on in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It is taken away. Guys, one of the things that Christians were known for, and you have to go back and and look at history for this, but the people killing them were amazed at how calmly they faced death. It was like, alright, go ahead. Why? Because they knew, I'll be back. They believed in the resurrection. I think that's pretty good news. That's incredible news. Guys, think about what that will do to despairing people in this world. The election's going to be over on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, something like that. And I'm guessing 75% of the people in this country are going to be disappointed with whatever the result is. Even if who they voted for got elected, they are not going to be happy. They are not going to be excited about the future of this country. I think a wonderful opportunity exists when we're talking. And and that feeling is not going to go away, by the way. Okay? You talk to people a year from now, they are going to be upset. They're going to be looking forward to the next election. Hopefully, things are going to get better. And guys, I believe it presents such a wonderful opportunity for followers of Jesus to tell the real good news. And that means it don't matter what goes on in this world. It don't matter if evil people succeed. It's sad. The people are losing their homes in Texas. That bothers me what Stan Kroenke did. But guess what? At the end of the day, I'll be back. Okay? I'll be back. And that's great news. That is fantastic news. That's what Jesus' resurrection proves. You know, I had this whole spiel here about the Cubs, and you kind of just shot it down. Alan prophesied to me about this happening, by the way. He did. It was three to four years ago. I didn't write it down because it was, you know, not thought to be significant. We're sitting, I do remember, we were at the Bethalto McDonald's, the two of us, and he starts telling me about how the Cubs have realized the error of their ways and are creating a secret document called the Cubs' Way. And in this secret document, they're going to revamp everything. They're going to teach all their recruits, their, 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 all the people they sign in their minor league system, to do things the same way. The pitchers are going to warm up the same way. They're going to be taught how to steal bases the same way. They're going to be taught how to swing the bat the same way. How to hit the same way. They're going to be taught all these things. It's going to be a secret document. I said, hey, I don't think you're going to have to worry about people wanting to get their hands on it. I remember that. Do you remember that? Yes, Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And guys, now that this day has come, and it has proven true, you know what they're saying now? Now they're really saying, wait till next year. Because we're going to be back. It's going to happen again. And all the experts are saying, this team's going to be good for a number of years. And if they continue on with creating this Cubs way, and that the, the uh, ownership is supportive of that, the Cardinal-Cub rivalry might actually be a real rivalry. <laughs> for years to come. Isn't that true though? That was a cup. Compl- <laughs> Some things die hard, that's all I can tell you. It's going to be a real rivalry. Guys, why 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 is he so excited? Because they've done it. They've done it. Guys, why should we be so excited about Jesus raising from the dead? About our rising from the dead? because he's done it. He's done it. Listen to this guys. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Says to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness The firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. The firstborn. There's going to be more. He's the proof. Colossians 1.18, it says, And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything He might have the supremacy. Guys, Jesus' resurrection ought to get you excited. And it needs to be what we're sharing when we share the gospel. It's not all the gospel, but it leads me to my fourth point, and that is, if you're not talking about the res, if I'm not talking about the resurrection, I'm not sharing the gospel. I might share about my church. I might share about commitment to a, commitment to to obeying Jesus and a legalistic approach to following Jesus. But if I'm not talking about the resurrection, I'm not sharing the Gospel. And you see, guys, I want to end on this today because that's what we've got to do. We've got to come to a greater understanding of it and a greater belief in it so that we can share it. You can't share what you don't understand. Did you know? That's pretty brilliant, isn't it? Guys, I had I almost up there. I know I'm short on time. Let's look at these passages. In Acts chapter one, it says, "Therefore it is they are they are what they're doing here is they are choosing Matthias to replace Judas since Judas killed himself." It says, "Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us." For one of these must become a witness with us of His resurrection. Acts chapter 4 and verse 2. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Verse 31, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When is the last time you studied the Bible with somebody and you talked to them about they wanted to get baptized and you talked to them about what they were doing and what they were going to say when they were there? And usually when I'm talking with somebody, we say, guys, at some point you need to confess that you're making Jesus Lord. I have never questioned anybody about, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You see, that's significant because what it says here is if they don't believe it, they're just getting wet. It says if you believe it in your heart, you'll be saved. What if you don't believe it? You're just getting wet. It's part of the good news. So much so that if you don't believe it, you ain't saved. That's significant. One more verse, guys. I want to close out with this one. In 2 Timothy 2.8, Paul is basically he's just summarizing the Gospel here to Timothy. And he says, Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. Very simple. Very simple. Guys, I don't know where you're at today. I hope you're shook a little bit. I hope you're rattled. Because guys, when I look at this, and I look at how little attention we've given, how little we talk about it, I am convinced we have not completely understood the good news of the Gospel. That was redundant, wasn't it? (laughs) And guys, there's a passage in Galatians chapter 1, a number of you, you have probably referred to it, are familiar with it. It's verse 6 and verse 9. They repeat each other where Paul says, if I or an angel from heaven tells you a different Gospel other than what you were preached to, what was preached, let him be eternally condemned. And I ask you, if we are telling the good news, if we are telling the Gospel without talking about the resurrection, are we sharing a different Gospel? Guys, we've got to get this right. We've got to give attention to this. We've got to understand it. Because there's a whole lot of people after Tuesday that are going to need some good news. Okay? Actually, they need it now. And I'm venturing to say that there's a whole lot of us in this room that when we understand it, we're going to get just as excited as Alan. Okay? We're going to be just as excited. No, we're going to be more excited than now. That's the way this works. Guys, there's a whole bunch of practical implications of the resurrection also. Tim and I were talking about this and I said, Tim, I I hesitate to bring it up. I stumbled on this. Stumbled. My eyes were open this morning to understand. (laughs) There's a whole lot of practical implications to understanding the resurrection. And I may be back up here next week. We've discussed this. To follow up with this. Or we may do it at a later time. But guys, I I beg you to give this some attention. I beg you to pay attention to it. Because I think it's significant. If you are serious about following Jesus. If you are serious about sharing the good news with others. You've got to get this on straight. Let's pray. As I'm going to pray. You all know about the, uh, the communication cards. You can fill them out. We'll collect them. If you're a member here, we would like your contribution as well so we can keep the lights on. And we'll go forward. Let's pray. Father, it is, it is exciting to be up here and to talk about this. Father, it is exciting when something is so plain from Your Word. And Father, when the evidence is so overwhelming. It's exciting to know, Father, You've had patience with me. And You've given me time to come to this. Time to look at this. Time to share it. Father, I beg You that as a group, we give this its due attention. Father, that we examine it. Father, we have been a church our entire existence that's had a burning desire to share Jesus with the world. Father, I want to share all of the good news with you, with the world. Not just parts. And Father, that requires that we learn this. And we believe this. Father, guide us in that process. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.